And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, but five, force five. Hello, and welcome to the Force Five podcast. I am your host, ex-video store clerk, wannabe screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. Today's returning guest is film critic Rosa Parra, who you first heard from almost exactly a year ago in episode 20, and today we're going to be talking about five awesome Latinx films. Last week's show with Jennifer Reeder was a popular one on social media. Lots of people took the time to chime in. Over on Instagram, Horror1980s says Nurse Ratchet, of course, from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The Ray Hart Rundown says Rebecca Romaine as Mystique or Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Both good choices. Good Times Great Movies podcast said Mary Lou from Prom Night 2, who I just brought up in Exorcism Scenes. Layla Josephine says Mrs. Trunchbull, of course, from Matilda. Good choice there. And John Stuyvesant says Christina Ricci. Just her. No characters, just her. Over on Twitter, we had a couple of interesting ones, too. Bruce Perky says Georgina from The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, which I saw for the first time earlier this year, and uh, what a ride that movie is from 1989. And then Woody Woodpickle, great name, says Rosamund Pike from I Care A Lot. She just plays wicked women well, I guess. I have not yet seen that one, but now I feel like I need to check it out. I saw two direct-to-video action movies this week. Hell Hath No Fury, which uh, is from 2021. I'm not going to have a detailed review of that, but if you want to see my thoughts, I posted them over on Letterboxd. I am letterboxd.com backslash force five there. The other one I watched is called One Shot, also from 2021. And sir arrived 10 days ago. We the only ones out here? Just us and our guests. A cell in Europe has been trying to build a dirty bone. We traced it to DC. The detainees that come here do not depart until we've properly vetted. Are you a mean man, sir? That's been a terrible mistake. We screw up and one of these guys hurts the homeland. It's all over CNN. Uh, something's not right. On me. An elite squad of Navy SEALs on a covert mission to transport a prisoner off of a CIA black site island prison are trapped when insurgents attack. The title One Shot can be used to describe the soldier's predicament. One shot to complete their mission and get off the island with the prisoner, but it most certainly refers to the gimmick used to make the film. The entire thing is to look like one shot. I know there are a lot of people that are absolutely against gimmick films, meaning the only appeal of the film is said gimmick, and without it, the film doesn't really work. Past examples are films that are really only interesting when seen in 3D, or, for example, 1981's Polyester, which introduced the scratch-and-sniff odorama to theatergoers. One-take films, or oneers as they are sometimes called, aren't new. Films like 2014's Academy Award-winning Birdman was made to appear like one take, and a year later the film Victoria was made legitimately only using one take. When you watch a film like this, the real measure is, is it as good without the gimmick? In this case, the answer is no, which, in my opinion, makes one shot all the more impressive. When looked at from a script perspective, it's a pretty standard direct-to-video action flick. It's got a pretty contrived script. The one man who can stop a bomb from going off is locked in a compound, so it's up to the SEAL team to get him out before Washington, D.C. detonates. 
It's filled with eye-roll-worthy dialogue and pretty stock characters. Shot in a traditional sense, this would probably be a forgettable little siege film with pretty basic action, but the real charm of One Shot lies in the craft it would take to create something like this. Now I feel like I'm pretty adept at finding the cuts in sequences that are supposed to look like one take, and I only noticed one moment in here where it was a definite cut. The rest looks really seamless unless I just missed it. We start on a helicopter and land on an island base, and the rest of the film takes place in and around this base as a transport truck doubling for a terrorist clown car rams through the front gate and then expels dozens of disposable NPCs. The film is then basically wall-to-wall -wall action as Jake, played by Scott Adkins, works with his team to hold off terrorists until help arrives. The thin story moves along at a brisk pace as they stop every few seconds to put down bad guys. The camera then floats between SEAL and terrorist, and we spend some time with the maniacal Hakim Sharif, played by Jess Liaudin, who's running the insurgents. He's brutal and shows absolutely no mercy. A scene in which he walks with a youngster explaining the honor of having a bomb vest strapped on so he can destroy a hallway blockade is particularly chilling, and because of the gimmick, we get to see the entire conversation as they enter the hallway up through the attempt, certainly giving the actors playing the seals a breather at the same time. Because it's all done in one take, there's not a whole lot of time for backstory or personality, but somehow I still ended up caring about several of the Navy SEALs, particularly Brandon Whitaker, played by Emmanuel Imani. To the film's credit, there are some surprising deaths as well, and again, because of the way it's shot, there are no sentimental moments. No slow motion shots, no flashbacks, no montages. Characters you've spent significant amounts of time with just get a bullet and then die. It's unceremonious and cold, and I actually really like that aspect of the film. Adkins does the heavy lifting, and the amount of cardio that goes into a film like this just boggles the mind. His performance also comes with some neat small touches, like changing a mag when it's still half full, and putting it back into his pocket instead of chucking it onto the ground like so many cinematic soldiers do. One Shot is a film that falls into so many standard action movie cliches, but this is one of those cases where I didn't care because of its gimmick. It's an entertaining ride with superb levels of technicality that deserve to be seen. The actors put on solid performances, and you can't help but think of how stressful it must be to perform in this kind of movie, as one small mess-up could have ruined the entire film up until that point. Instead of distracting you from the action, the camera puts you right in the middle of it, and because of that, you form relationships with the soldiers involved. One Shot is a very fun action flick, and aside from the cast and cover art, a typical moviegoer might not even know it was a direct-to-video flick. I have no problem recommending this to action movie fans. I do, however, have an issue with recommending Netflix's biggest movie ever, Red Notice. Nolan Booth, the second most wanted art thief in the world. Special Agent John Hartley, FBI. Hi, guys. How'd you find me? You stole William Strang's lady with the red hat from the tape. You can't prove that was me. I got that on Etsy. I want you to help me catch the most wanted art thief in the world, the bishop. Hello, boys. It's so nice to finally meet you in person. She set me up, framed me. A few clever keystrokes and bye-bye, Adrian John Hartley. On paper, Red Notice seems like a movie I should love. I love The Rock. I love Ryan Reynolds. I don't dislike Gal Gadot, a treasure-hunting, globe-hopping adventure film with wise-cracking protagonists, big set pieces, and a whole lot of fun. 
It sounded like Ocean's Eleven meets Indiana Jones with a sprinkling of national treasure. And to be fair, it has most of that. People are making dick jokes while making daring escapes from Russian gulags and having comedic arguments while driving through an abandoned mine shaft dodging bullets and explosions. Unfortunately, somehow, it lacks any semblance of fun. Obviously, I love movies that are big, dumb, and loud, but they've got to have heart or some emotion to them. It's the reason why I love 1995's Bad Boys so much. How can a movie like Red Notice with this kind of on-screen talent feel so vapid and soulless? The Rock normally oozes this bizarre asexual charisma while playing the exact same character in every movie he's in, but he's almost always fun to watch. By now, you should know exactly what you're getting when you watch Ryan Reynolds. Outside of Voices in Mississippi Grind, he's essentially Ben Berg from Two Guys, A Girl, and a Pizza Place while just changing jobs and hairdos for each role. But again, he's almost always fun to watch. And then there's Gal Gadot, who doesn't have any charisma but looks nice in a dress. She got paid $20 million to put her name on the poster and play a slightly more cheerful, edgy version of Diana from Wonder Woman. No one here looks like they want to be in this movie, and I think that's the big problem with this film. The charisma we're used to seeing from the male leads is mysteriously missing, and you cannot force it. It feels like we're watching robots from Westworld before they knew they could do cool shit on their own. When you have The Rock and Ryan Reynolds sharing so much screen time and an Ed Sheeran cameo is the funniest thing about your movie, that's a problem. Another problem is that with a budget of $200 million, how did the action feel this stale? There's nothing new here, and the stuff you've seen before wasn't done better. Parkour scenes, car chases, shootouts, foot chases, they all feel so bland. There's one scene late in the movie that sees our characters and the police racing through this abandoned mineshaft, and I just felt bored. On that note, how could the CGI look this bad? There's a scene that features a bull that looks absurd, like Escape from LA slash how to make computer graphics on this $300 budget laptop YouTube tutorial level CGI. I wanted to turn this movie off after 20 minutes and uh, I just kept thinking this has got to get better and it just never got better. In the post-release promotional Instagram post, The Rock ignores the critics and looks to the Rotten Tomatoes 90% plus audience score. An audience filled with people who benefited from a second telling of an early plot point being described in detail just minutes after we'd heard about it the first time, just in case you were too stupid to pick it up initially. But no matter what the audience says, this movie is bad, and not in a so bad it's good kind of way. This is just forgettable bad, and with a $200 million price tag, it rounds the corner from boring to infuriating. Never once did I care about any of the characters or the stupid ass eggs they were looking for. The end of this film sets up a sequel, which of course we could all see coming as I don't think there was one death in the movie. Anytime something explodes, people dive out of the way just in time to avoid being charred like you're watching the G.I. Joe cartoon or my inevitable attempt at a deep fried Thanksgiving turkey. This is an attempt by the filmmakers to avoid making your brain say, wait, I can't like these people anymore because they murdered an Interpol agent over a golden fucking egg, not realizing that your brain is already thinking, I don't like these people because they're just plain unlikable. I think it goes without saying that I could not care less about a sequel, and I think Red Notice might be one of the worst films I've seen all year. Red Notice, of course, is available to stream on Netflix if you're a glutton for punishment, but there are so many streaming services out there, and it's time to make room for one more. Vought Plus. But don't take my word for it. Hear it from The Seven. With Vought Plus, you have the power to control the greatest content in the world. Enjoy the action 
and the excitement of all of your favorite Vought Studio films and series. Plus, stay informed with reliable news you can count on from people you can trust. Plus, never miss a game. 24-7 coverage of your favorite sports teams. Plus, programs for women that tell the stories we want to see. Plus. Plus. From urban beats to city streets. Shows that put diverse voices front and center. Plus. Timeless stories of heroes who may be gone, but are never forgotten. Plus. 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 Vought Plus. The world's premier super streaming service. Sign up now. Head to Vought Plus right now and put in promo code FORCE5. That's FORCE and the number five to unlock an exclusive NFT featuring Homelander's Got Milk commercials. Now let's talk about five awesome Latinx films plus Rosa Parra. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Today, my returning guest is Rosa Parra. She's a member of the Hollywood Critics Association and the co-founder of Latinx Lens. How's it going, Rosa? Hi, it's going great. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Well, semi-invited me because I invited myself, kind of. <laughs> That's sometimes how Twitter conversations go. Yes. Uh, I got to say, it's been a heck of a year since we last had you on. You're now Rotten Tomatoes approved. Yes. Oh, wow. It's been a while, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That happened. Uh, it looks like you've been going to film festivals. Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Now, last time you were on, we talked about some of your favorite films of all time. What are some of the favorite films that you've seen this year? Oh, man, this year, it's been such a crazy year overall. Um, so many, so many accomplishments and so many milestones I've been achieving. But in terms of film, I, I think that particularly the month of October uh, was a bit packed. Um, I, I think a lot of those films that were being pushed back by the pandemic are all of a sudden mm -hmm. everything's coming up. So we're getting everything all at once. Man, there's so many films uh, at the moment that, that I've been enjoying and some that I'm going to, um, mm. I just watched one earlier today and then a few, I watched Spencer a few days ago and then those are still uh, very vivid in my head. But oh man, as of now, I think my favorite film is still Identifying Features, um, which is the Mexican uh, uh, movie in its, I think believed i watched it when did i see it i saw it earlier this year sometime january february and it's been raining ever since <laughs> and <laughs> pig pig is also up there with nicholas oh, yeah. cage that's certainly another one of my favorite movies uh plan b shang chi <laughs> shang chi oh my god uh i've seen that movie probably six or seven times in the theater um <laughs> nice. but overall you know it, it's been it's been fun it's been a heck of a year so yeah yeah, yeah those are a few of my favorite movies so far uh, i still have a lot to to catch up with particularly those oscar baby ones <laughs> oh yeah and those don't start trickling in until december right <laughs> yes yes december i think starts mid-november and i'm already getting uh emails and in-person screenings fyc uh emails of yeah, consider our movie and this and that and that and this i'm like yes i will <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome 
And then you also mentioned some other milestones that you hit this year. What else has been going on since we last talked to you? Oh, my God. It's been a while. Um, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes. We, I, I was accepted into a few critics associations. And then on top of that, I mean, on a personal level with Latinx Lens, everything that has brought to me and to Catherine has been, wow, it's just been mind-boggling. Just today, uh, we had an interview with Pablo Larrain, who's the director of Spencer. I never, yeah, yeah when, when that happened, I, I couldn't believe it because I'm still sitting here <laughs> 12 hours later <laughs> in, in awe and it still feels a bit surreal. Yeah, we're, we're beginning to, to conduct interviews and... Just a few days ago, we were talking to Jorge Gutierrez, who's the director of the Book of Life, but also creator of Maya and the Three. And yeah, little by little, we've, we've been accomplishing a lot. And we were also quoted <laughs> um, for In the Heights and the physical media. That was another thing that happened. Yeah, yeah a lot has happened. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's so cool. Yeah, yeah it, it's been great. Um, it just feels very surreal at the same time that... All of this can happen and and it still feels you know how oftentimes you feel like when a lot of good things happen to you like something bad is bound to happen it's probably that <laughs> subconscious like pessimism and, and <laughs> about it that just makes me want to be a bit more cautious and not be too celebratory about all these accomplishments well you got to celebrate the accomplishments yeah. uh you know if if something else happens down the road that's not so good you still got these accomplishments that you can be proud of. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. And yeah, I mean, how how have you been doing overall with, with the pandemic and then your podcast? I actually listened uh, to the podcast where, where Catherine was a guest on, on, on uh, I think oh, the nice. shootouts, I believe it was. Um, that was yep. pretty entertaining to, to take a listen to. Yeah, the show's been good. It's uh, it's growing at a crazy rate, and I've got some really cool guests lined up coming up. So it's yeah, it's all good. Still fun for me. So that's what counts. Exactly. As long as you're still enjoying yourself, just keep doing it. And your podcast, obviously, you just talked about it, has gotten just immense growth, and it's one of the like one of the only latin film focused podcast that i can think of mm -hmm. yeah it's probably yeah there's not that many of us out there uh talking about movies so yeah th that that also happened <laughs> with uh, latino heritage month which was uh september 15th to october 15th we were highlighted by apple apple podcast and um same. I was generally surprised to see that. But yeah, yeah, there's not that many of us out there. And I think because of that, we, we've been doing pretty well. <laughs> Hopefully, this show will clue some people on to some really amazing Latinx films. And we kind of mentioned it, but this topic came about because we were chatting back and forth on Twitter. And uh, it just kind of came out of that. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, a really tough a really tough topic because when you say like originally I think we proposed it as like five awesome Latino films, what constitutes a, a Latinx film? So I guess what were your what were your terms or criteria in narrowing your list down? Yeah, that's an excellent question because it's going to vary from person to person, and 
yeah, we were just going back and forth on Twitter and and then you just you just randomly mentioned and then I randomly invited myself and now here we are. <laughs> and uh, in a way, I'm like slightly regretting it because this has been one of the most difficult <laughs> lists I've had to narrow down <laughs> to. And even a few minutes ago, I told you, uh, I don't know if I, the list that I'm telling you right now, it's going to actually be my ultimate final finalized list because <laughs> it's it's so hard. Uh, again, it's going to be very from person to person. And to me, a Latino film is a movie that's either um, Latino centric in terms of its story, but also it can be um, from a Latino filmmaker. And, and that, that, that's when things can be tricky because by that logic, um, probably like what Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban will be a Latino film uh, since it's directed yeah, by, sure. by Alfonso Cuaron. But I understand how it wouldn't be looked upon that way. <laughs> so, again, it, it's going to vary from people to people. To me, a Latino film is, um, it can be directed by a Latino director. It can be a Latino-centric story or even with a Latino actor or actress in it. Um, and not necessarily having that character um, have it, its cultural background being emphasized a lot in, in, in the movie itself. But um, the, cr- the cr- criteria, I'm so sorry. I'm just stumbling on my words right now. Uh, the criteria that I utilized uh, to finalize, the, or in quotes, um, my list was from the three amigos. I can only select one of their films um, because it could have been so easy just to do all of these, like Guillermo del Toro list or Alfonso Caron list, and only one of their films from the three combined collectively. I can only utilize one um, because it is Latinos. It includes Latin America, which includes South and Central America. Uh, so to me, I had to select one movie from South America, one movie from Central America, one Mexican film, and ultimately the other two would be U.S. Latino based. Um, but even then, it's it, it was hard, incredibly hard to do this list. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I only included one from those folks also. So I wonder if we have the same Ooh. one. I'm intrigued. I was going for more like, okay, it's it's got to be a, a filmmaker, like a, Lat, a Latino filmmaker, Latinx filmmaker, but one of mine didn't even fall into that. And then I wanted to exclude Spain mm. because typically that's not right. That's not really counted, but I, I don't know. I kind of broke my rules here and there. I just got, I got five killer movies that I think are... There are different levels of representation in terms of the Latin factor. Like some are focused around the Latin experience, some are not. So, mm, okay. yeah, I guess we'll we'll find out. I ran my list by my wife, who is Hispanic, and she told me a couple uh, on a couple of them. Like I don't know that I would count that, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if you agree <laughs> or not. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yes yes rosa are you ready to get to the list let's do this i am ready you know what's gonna happen you know what's happening here right now i know what's gonna happen what you just made the list i'm gonna kick us off here with number five on my list i i really went with a pretty varied list like i have a melodrama i have uh, exploitation type of film. Oh. I have a fantasy film, and I'm going to start with my horror film because, again, this is a genre that that I love. 
And this is a recent discovery. I discovered this one last year. Well, I had heard about it for years, and I finally got a chance to watch it last year. It's 1988's Don't Panic. So, are you ready, Michael? Yeah. One, One two, two, three! three. <laughs> <laughs> Promise never to play with the Ouija board again. Oh, <laughs> oh my God! Hey, you guys. Maybe he's right. We shouldn't play this game. This is written and directed by Ruben Galindo Jr. It was filmed in, I think it was filmed in Mexico City. Uh And in Spanish, it translates to Dimensiones Ocultas. Okay. And uh, it's it's basically like a Nightmare on Elm Street take. It's one of those, in different regions, you had a bunch of ripoffs of the popular horror films. And this was a take on Nightmare on Elm Street. It's about this kid, Michael. And on his 17th birthday, it's, by the way, it's like bizarre the way they portray this birthday. You have all these 17-year-old kids, but it's almost like they're acting like it's a nine-year-old's birthday party. Mm-hmm. And he unwittingly, like, they tell him, blow out the candles, close your eyes. And when he opens his eyes, there's a Ouija board. And they unwittingly unlock a force of evil named Virgil when they're dicking around with this Ouija board. Then we get this surreal terror featuring these teenage kids and a lot of callbacks to Nightmare on Elm Street. But instead of having a final girl, like in those films, we get this kid named Michael, who looks like the Costco brand Alex Winter. He sports these this curly blonde hair. He wears these ridiculous dinosaur pajamas for like 75% of the film. Mm-hmm. And his muse who's with him sports just the best unibrow this side of Frida Kahlo. It's, it's really wild. It's funny. It has some really good gore. This is one of Screaming Mad George's first special effects films, and he did some wonderful things here with the gore. Obviously, it focuses on this kid named Michael, and because of his connection to Virgil, he starts seeing premonitions of his friends being killed. So you really get to see those gore effects take effect. And uh, when this happens, his eyes turn red, and this hand continuously reaches out through the ceiling, dripping blood on him in his bed. This director... Ruben Galindo Jr. He directed Cemetery of Terror, and then he directed this, and then he directed a movie called Grave Robbers over the course of like four years. But of the three, this is my favorite. It's the wildest one of them all. And I was looking at reviews. Somebody described this as a beautiful train wreck, and I think that's the perfect way to describe it. It's got these wild, low-budget special effects that are endearing because of how cheap everything looks. And you can tell that they did everything on on a tiny budget. Mm -hmm. You can also see that they were trying to cater to the American audience. They toss in some English signs and they they just scatter Coke cans everywhere. But it's filmed in Mexico. It takes place in Mexico because the story has Michael and his alcoholic mom moving back to Mexico from Hollywood. Yeah, if you like Nightmare on Elm Street inspired stuff, you're going to dig this. Vinegar Syndrome put out a great disc last year. It looks fantastic. They put out all three of his films, which, uh, which I picked up. And uh, yeah, it's just a a really wild film. And I wanted to get a horror movie on here. I didn't want to go with something that I've talked about before, like The Orphanage. And I think this is a perfect, a perfect late night, like midnight movie to watch with friends. It's Don't Panic from 1988. Okay, well, first of all, I'm not 
big on horror, so I'm I'm not gonna be well rounded when it comes to, to to that genre. Although ironically, I think I have two horror films in my in my list. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, wow, that sounds very interesting. I don't think I've ever heard about that movie before, but now the way that you're explaining it, it's quite a quite intriguing. Yeah, in the forms that I used to browse when I was first getting into exploitation films and horror films and those really under the radar ones it came up a lot and finally vinegar syndrome put it out the way it was supposed to be put mm-hmm. out you could only really find it in cut versions or on bootleg dvds for a long time oh, wow. and it looks great in the disc they put yeah. out oh wow that sounds amazing number five on your list of five awesome latinx films. okay so my number five and i think I'm going to cheat a little because I have okay. two movies on my number five spot. I only have, and this is the only one, so I'm not cheating. I'm not going to select 10 movies altogether. Um, <laughs> but this is the only one where I cannot select from one or the other. They're both equally important. Uh, they're both equally my favorites. And I often like to see these two as like double features, um, unlike a lot of people who would rather see them like, going against each other so i'm pretty sure you know where i'm going with this um so yeah my number <laughs> five is 2014's the book of life and 2017's Coco. follow me you need to see something special all the world is made of stories and all of those stories are right here in the book of life but the greatest story begins on the day of the dead A day when spirits pass between worlds and anything can happen. Ah, look there. Two best friends. Oh, in love with the same girl. You two are acting like fools. Wait, me too? You picked yourself a feisty one. These two movies, of course, both of them take place in the Day of the Dead, which was not that long ago, uh, November 2nd. Yeah. And and these two movies, they are so beautiful in their own unique ways. Uh, of course, the Book of Life did it first. I think the Book of Life walks so Coco could run um, in this case. And, and in terms of uh, talking about uh, the Day of the Dead and using animation uh, to uh, to do it. So um, probably... Um, introducing uh, this holiday or this celebratory day to kids um, and and doing it in a manner where they would be able to understand and not necessarily make it like morbid or making it um, any way uh, fearful or or scare in any sense. So, yes, I mean, 2014 is the book of life uh, directed by Jorge Gutierrez. It's easily one of Jorge Gutierrez is one of those uh, animators whose uh, animation is so unique. Uh, whenever you see his his project <laughs> on screen, you immediately know, yeah, this is a Jorge Gutierrez uh, <laughs> a stamp all over it. Um, he often refers himself as wanting to be the Guillermo del Toro of animation. Um, and I, I can see that. Happen. It's a good goal to yeah, have. Yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think he's certainly... Um, has achieved it and and what he does here in the book of life is just so beautiful it's so vibrant it's so uh, joyful full of life uh, in, in, in when you're actually thinking about uh, the thematics that are being explored in this movie and overall i mean again the the, the voice cast in this in this film also 
uh, very Latino centric. So, yeah, The Book of Life, it's easily one, one of my favorite movies to um, visit uh, on an annual basis, definitely on the Day of the Dead. I have this little tradition where I... Um, on November 1st, well, it depends. A lot of people just celebrate November 2nd. Others do the 1st and the 2nd because I, from my mm -hmm. understanding on the 1st, um, you do that to celebrate the younger ones, like the children or the babies that passed away before. And then the, on the 2nd is, is for adults. Um, so for me, I do both days and, um, and yeah, I, I eventually use and watch both of these films back to back. I, I start with the book of life and then I go on with Coco. I think Coco is the one that made this holiday or this uh, celebratory day more marketable, uh, per se, because before, oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If, absolutely. I would not have like probably five or 10 years ago, I would have gone to a Target during Halloween. I wouldn't have seen anything related <laughs> to the Day of the Dead. And now it's everywhere. So, yeah, I yep. think what Pixar does here, it, it's easily my favorite Pixar film. No surprise here. Um, but I, I think what they were able to do here with Coco, it's just beautiful uh again it was very vibrant um the the songs are, are very memorable i cry every single time i watch it particularly that 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 third act with the grandmother and miguel when they're singing it always always gets of me. course always always gets me and i think it does a very beautiful and informative job in explaining what 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 uh, the day of the dead is and what we put on our ofrendas and, and where uh, is literally the the genesis of the celebration itself uh so i, I think coco itself um uh, of course it, it introduces more of the of the day of the dead and and, and Disney did an excellent job. It's so accurately depicted everything from um, the origins of it and how these families um, gathered together and having Miguel um, just go and, and, and have his journey um, in the land of the dead and, and also not shying away the movie itself of, of touching not 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 very direct uh but slightly touching on these more um heavy political topics that not not everybody everybody catches on real quick but again i i can't separate these two films they they come together to me uh coco and the book of life so yeah that's my number five and 5.5 i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Great pick. And I'm just going to pile on here because Coco is my number nice. four. Uh, yeah. And we also we also do the ofrenda in our house. Nice. We do it just like you, the first and the second. We we have it. It's actually still up right now just because it's oh, minus two. beautiful to have yeah, up. Minus two. If you haven't seen Coco, it's about this kid who loves music and he finds himself in the land of the dead after these this chain of events and he has to unlock the real story behind his family and their history but it's it's about uh the, the stories that we hand down and sharing those stories to keep passing them down so that the people who have died in our lives will live on with right. us and we see in the movie that some people disappear on screen because they don't have anybody else to remember them they don't have pictures up on the ofrenda. And it's not just about the picture being there, but the stories that you tell and how that continues through generations. It's obviously powerful to you. It's powerful to me. It's a vibrant celebration of Mexican culture, which I think is is rarely seen 
in kids movies and like you said we had two and almost three which i will talk about in my honorable mentions now animated films that make really good Mm -hmm. use of animation to bring that culture out it's a little bit predictable like when you were talking about act three i mean i could see when i was watching this in theaters i could see that coming from a mile away but it's no less powerful even if you know where it's going because it's well written and because the voice actors do such a good job uh, it it really will tug the heartstrings and like you said the music's great yeah 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 absolutely yay i'm glad it made your list um out of all <laughs> films i'm glad coco is the one that that made the list because yeah just just like you said um the songs the music i just find it so brilliant how you can just utilize one song which is remember me and have so many different yep. versions of it um and and that within itself is just fascinating to look at but yeah just to see it on the big screen it, the opening you know the disney theme song with mariachi it just immediately mm-hmm. immerses you into this world and me as a, as a chicana is certainly something that that always uh, it hits my core and it hits uh, the who i am as a person and i absolutely love that <laughs> My son, so when he watches things with me, he watches them in English. But when he watches things with my wife, he watches them in Spanish. Mm. And for this film, a lot of Disney films, just they're terribly dubbed second, like afterwards in Spanish. And this one really sounds great in Spanish, too. All the music's in Spanish. Everybody speaks Spanish. And it doesn't seem like it's dubbed. So I, I do shout out Disney for making the Spanish language one as good as the English one. Yes, kudos. Yes, so that's my number four. So we'll go on to your number four. All righty. So my number four is a Brazilian film uh, from 2002. Uh, It's City of God. Uh, I had to put it in here. Rio de Janeiro, the beach, the nightlife, the romance... But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. Believe it or not, I'm still working on my film degree (laughs) for more than a year now. Um, And... Man, this movie, I had to watch it for one of my classes probably over a year ago. I've only seen it once, and it's mm. left such an everlasting impact. Um, so th- this movie is directed by, by Fernando Mireles and uh, Katia Lund, and it, it's literally, it takes place in, in Rio, Rio de Janeiro, uh, where two kids' paths uh, diverge as one struggle to become a photographer and the other a kingpin. This movie, the way, I, I think it just took me by surprise. To, it took me by surprise the way it decided to handle its thematics. Um, it does not shy away from um, harming kids and, and killing youngsters. Yeah. And I think that's what initially shocked me. But at the same time, it made me realize, okay, they're trying to get this message across of, Hey, this is the environment a lot of people live in, and 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 these these this is the result of of a political system that isn't necessarily the best uh, economic social structure, and 
just to see all of this uh, unfold again i've only seen it once and it's never left my head every now and then i still think about it there's a few scenes here and there that have just stayed impregnated in my brain that every other day i just think about them and just to um to reiterate there i i had a lot trust me i had a lot, a lot of choices i knew i had to pick a brazilian <laughs> film either way um i this one slightly beat out uh Baccarelle, which was also a movie i watched not that long ago and also left it mm -hmm. was quite shocking as well to to see it all these brazilian films they're, they're just so extraordinary um and and the, this movie itself again i i think as a mother, it hit me a little more uh, just to see uh, all these children and, and having to survive in this type of environment and having to uh, to to just um, literally survive most of the time by themselves because they have nobody else uh, to look out for them. So, yes, City of God is not an easy watch at all, um, particularly if you're not fond of seeing children harmed uh, but I certainly think is very a well done movie and an essential one if that I thought about putting this on there but I didn't include any Brazilian films on my list okay. and it was just because like when I hear the term Latinx or Latino it, it's not the first thing that comes to my mind and I actually talked about this with my wife and she's like that Brazil counts and I'm like well like I don't, I don't know if I'm going to put any of them on my list. But it's funny that you mentioned Baccarat. I I didn't like Baccarat, but I actually have a different Brazilian film on my honorable mentions that Ooh. I'll talk about later. Nice. Uh, but City of God is a fantastic movie, and if you haven't seen City of God, run to whatever streaming service is playing it right yes. now. Lil Z is like the main villain in here. He's a kid, and. He is one of the most sadistic villains I think I've ever seen on screen. Yeah, easily. So. <laughs> it's on HBO Max. <laughs> there you go. So go stream right. it there. It, yes. Uh, like Rosa said, it's not an easy watch, but uh, it is very good. It is an awesome film. Yes. So City of God from 2002. That was your number four. On to my number three here. I'm wondering if you're going to have this on your list, because I think we talked about this at some point on Twitter in the last year. This is from 1997, and it is Selena. Warner Brothers is proud to present the extraordinary story of a girl with a talent that would come to touch us all. Selena y los Dinos, which had just skyrocketed to the number one spot. Selena! I love you, and I'm very proud of you. With every triumph. He is so cute. But mom, you can't tell dad. Came heartbreak. You don't think I know who you are? I come from the streets. I know what a bum musician is. I'm not going to stop seeing him, dad. I'm not going to have this in my family. <laughs> it, it is not on my list, surprisingly. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, this is a biopic starring Jennifer Lopez in her breakout role playing Selena, a Texas-born Tejano singer who rose from cult status to performing at the Astrodome, as well as having chart-topping albums on the Latin music charts. She's one of the best-selling female artists in Latin music ever. 
my wife showed me this film. I, I actually really liked it. I really like the music in it as well. Do you have a personal connection to Selena? Oh, yes, absolutely. Selena is one of the films, one of the very first films I ever watched in in a movie theater. Um, And I was a huge fan of her. I had all her cassettes. I know I'm aging myself, guys. Sorry. Um, (laughs) And no, I was a huge fan of her uh, back in the day. I I was really, really big on on, um, her music. I loved her music. I knew the lyrics, uh, you know, back in the day where you have to rewind like 10,000 times so you can get all the <laughs> lyrics correctly. Um, but no, yeah, she's one of the very few uh, Latino, US born Latino, uh, Latina artists to have had that level of success. And unfortunately, what happened to her is just uh, so horrible. I cried. I, I, I genuinely cried. I was little, I was much younger and mm-hmm. it, it broke me. I think. Her death was my first ever um, experience, like of a big celebrity death. Uh, so, so just yeah, it, it, it's certainly one of the films that has impacted me. So many quotes and really, re, um, just very relatable in terms of being a Mexican American in the United States. And yeah, very heartfelt. The, the only reason why it's not on my list is because I have two other films that have definitely left a bigger impact on me but i knew that selena um the movie i loved it i, I love selena but i know that it, it's just not as up there uh, as my top five but i'm glad that it's on your list it's funny that you mentioned the crying when she died because my wife said the same thing <laughs> and, and it was basically the the same thing for her where she remembers crying when they said that she had been killed. Obviously, this is a story that ends tragically, but one of the cool things about the film is that it doesn't focus on that. It's more of a bookend. This is a telling of her upbringing. It starts before she's even born, and Edward James Olmos plays her father, Mm -hmm. and it goes through really a celebration of her music and... It walks through the evolution of his music because he was a musician at first. And then he starts to incorporate his daughter into the band. And then she eventually takes over the band, not because of ego, but just because of her talents. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's just, it just celebrates that music that touched millions of people and still holds up today. This is one of those artists where my wife can play it in the, in the house. And I love it just as much as, yeah. you know, if she's playing my own music. <laughs> uh, it's a bit melodramatic and sometimes it can feel like a novella but i think it's a really good film and it's jennifer lopez's performance was amazing i remember reading about i guess when this film was cast people were kind of upset because she's from puerto rican descent but she does an amazing job and i was not familiar with selena like uh pre seeing this movie Mm -hmm. but according to my wife she just did an amazing job and yeah, she's fantastic. So Selena from 1997, uh, I wanted to put it on my list, both for me and for Jack. Oh, yeah, I'm glad it got on there because it is a very influential movie for me on a personal level. And in terms of Latino movies in general, also, I think it's also huge and very big. It always makes the lists of top uh, of top <laughs> 10 movies or Latino movies to watch in Latino Hispanic Heritage Month. And I think in a way, I I try to stay away away from the movies that normally come up on this list, except for one, which is my favorite one. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, I absolutely. All right. It. Glad <laughs> it's on your list. Number three for me. Okay. This is where one of the three amigos comes in. 
I had a hard time deciding which one I was going to pick first because it was okay. I had to pick a Mexican film because I'm like, oh my God, I need to pick a Mexican film, right? And then I'm like, all right, so it's between Amores Perros y Tu Mama Tambien or Cronos. So I think I, I selected the boldest of choices and I selected, which is my, actually my favorite and my personal favorite Guillermo del Toro film, which is his directorial debut, uh, 1993 Cronos. Um, nice. I think, oh my God, this movie, I absolutely love, uh, absolutely love and adore uh, what Guillermo del Toro brings here. This is just a, a brief and, and and perhaps a slight uh, window to the brain and the uh, the visionary of what Guillermo del Toro um, would eventually become and would continue to to give us with all the films that are coming um, that would come after this movie um so so yeah the movie is certainly a, a follows uh, an older man who discovers this mysterious device um, that somehow gives him like uh, it makes him younger and to to some extent makes him like eternal in a way kind of kind of puts in these uh, vampire uh, thematics into this and I love that to me I think it was a very bold choice for for Del Toro to um, use the thematics you use your like vampire themes involve them and include them in a movie like this one and somehow contrast them but not necessarily and more of a comparing it to religion um particularly in a country yeah. that's very much religious their mexico is very catholic uh, in terms of their beliefs so for him to do a mm -hmm. movie like this one i thought it was a very bold choice um the movie itself some of the of the of the makeup and the aesthetic doesn't necessarily stand still today um but the movie itself and, and to see those parallels between religion and vampirism uh, is something that I just find fascinating. And just to and, and here's where we get the introduction of, um, of of Guillermo del Toro's mindset in terms of his monsters and how the monsters necessarily aren't the bad guys in his movies. Um, and he always uh, finds a way for us to sympathize with them. Um, and, and, and just to, to see all of this just come up and, and just see some very famous um, Mexican actors that, that were in the movie. I think his lead actor is, is Argentinian, actually. So... Again, it, it's my favorite Guillermo del Toro film. I know it's a very unpopular opinion. Don't get me wrong. I love Pan's Labyrinth, but I think I prefer Cronos a little bit more. Um, and yeah, that, that's my number three. It's Cronos from, from Guillermo del Toro, his territorial debut. <laughs> I think this one's also streaming right now on HBO. Yeah, HBO Max. Yeah, so go check oh, it out. Yes. Criterion also put out an amazing Guillermo del Toro box set that I snag that has Kronos in there. I'm sure that they sell the disc on its own too. Yes. So go check that out. It is a really, really great movie. Uh, not my favorite of mm -hmm. his, but it's still, it's still really good. Yeah. Yeah. Number two for me is probably going to be one of my most, um, I guess, obscure picks. Mm. And I'm wondering if you've ever heard of it. It's from 1997. Also, it's called Perdita Durango. My name is Romero Dolorosa. Well, my name is Patita Durango. Do you want to come with me? Hey. 
Antonio De La Rosa. <laughs> Santero, drug dealer, bank robber, scumbag. There's a woman involved here? Perdita Durango. She's as dangerous as he is. It's not going to take her long to break the law. Well, this is the perfect place. Strangest people come up with the most interesting ideas. We just have to think about doing it. Who the hell are you people? <laughs> it was also, I think, released under the title Dance with the Devil or something like that. But Perdita Durango is... is what I know it as. It's directed by Alex De La Iglesia, who is a very talented uh, director. He recently directed the, um, I believe it was the Spain, like the Spain's version of Perfect Strangers, which is a movie that has been remade a million times. And his show 30 Coins on HBO is just amazing horror. He also directed like 800 Bullets and Day of the Beast, but Perdita Durango is one of my favorites of his. And I chose it because he he is from Spain, but I chose this one because, number one, it, the story starts in Mexico and it features one of my favorite Hispanic actors, Javier Bardem, mm. in a very early role. This film is wild. It is, uh, it's a kind of like a crazy road trip movie in the same vein as natural born killers but it's like if mickey and mallory were turned up a few notches if you can imagine that it also stars rosie perez and she is perdita durango she's that character the titular character and then bardem plays a bank robber named romeo who meets her she she basically comes to mexico to scatter i think her sister's ashes and meets this insane character from Javier Bardem and they link up and go on this kind of like a crime spree road trip they're they're supposed to go from Mexico to Las Vegas and their job is to transport frozen human fetuses that are going to be used to make a moisturizer so that's like the scraping the surface of how bonkers the the plot is wow. now along the way they kidnap a couple a, a white couple who are in Mexico just having a good time. They kidnap them and they plan to use them as human sacrifices. And there's also some like Santeria rituals and some voodoo stuff in here. All the while they are being chased by James Gandolfini as a cop. The film starts out hot. It never lets up. It just beats you over the head with crazy visuals, uh, way over the top violence Everybody is great. This is like one of the only films that I like Rosie Perez in. Normally, I don't love her, but she's great in this. And Javier Bardem, if you are a fan of Javier Bardem and you liked his things at like No Country for Old Men or uh, even as the villain in Skyfall, you're going to love him here. He is so over the top. He is so wild in this film. He has one of the best looks in film history in this movie. He has a like n insane mullet. That looks just amazing. He wears these snakeskin boots with the snake heads still attached to the boots. So as he walks, like the snake heads flop around. <laughs> it's, it's just insane. It's um, If you've seen the Nicolas Cage film Wild at Heart, this movie is based on the same text that Wild at Heart was. It's a book called um, 59, and Raining, 59 Degrees and Raining, The Story of Perdita Durango by Barry Gifford. It's a messy movie. It's insane. Sometimes it feels like something written by a 15-year-old who just saw True Romance and Natural Born Killers, but I love this movie specifically for the performances by the leads. 
Oh my god, I've actually never heard of this movie and I'm looking it up right now. It looks bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You see his look? Yes. <laughs> like with the mullet? Oh, it's crazy. Oh wow. Okay, I need to put this on my to watch list. Yeah, he was it's it's like Bardem was just given a leash and then they just cut the leash and said just go nuts and he does. There's a um a scene where he is He's also a con man and he's chopping up a body and doing what seems like an exorcism. It is just nuts. Oh, wow. (laughs) I need to check this out. (laughs) Yes. Uh, This one was recently put out by Severin in 4K. And that's, again, when I discovered it recently. It looks fantastic. All right. Number two for you. All right. Number two for me. Uh, This is where my Central American movie comes into play. It's a recent one. Um, it's one if you follow me on Twitter, which I don't know if you do or not. I've always been. <laughs> of course, I know I do. you do. Yeah, <laughs> but your listeners, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> hopefully, they do. And you should, right? Yes, please go. <laughs> Pause this. Go follow me, and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you do follow me on Twitter, so you've seen me rave about this movie for quite a few, quite a while now. And uh, yeah, my number two is uh, Guatemala's 2019 La Llorona. Está atrás. No pienses en eso. Que no te afecte. Not the Conjuring one. No, 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 not that. <laughs> La Llorona from 2019, written and directed by Jairo Bustamante. Wow. This movie is just incredible. I don't even know where to start. Uh, so so the movie, literally, it's a reiteration, um, a, a retelling of the legendary ghost of La Llorona. And in, in this case, they're, they're using it amidst um, a, a uh, indigenous genocide, which it was uh, in... in particularly the Mayan, uh, the Mayan um, indigenous people that were being, unfortunately, they were being murdered uh, back in the 80s by uh, this uh, war criminal who uh, at the beginning of the movie, he's getting old and he's coming, he's becoming um, very much paranoid and he's being um, looked after by his wife and his daughter. His wife is overprotective and also very... um, uh, she can she can turn a blind eye here and there with a lot of things that he's done. So as he's getting older, he's becoming more paranoid, and of course, as a since he was in the war, he has this PTSD that he's trying to deal with as well. So as he's getting older, um, he's becoming to he's becoming haunted. He's being haunted by all these ghosts of of the past, and we we have a woman who kind of personifies uh, the the legend of La Llorona. And we we see how he is just very reckless, and 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 just because he was a a, a power hungry um, political figure at the time, he gets unfortunately he gets away with a lot of these genocides that he ordered um, to to commit on these indigenous people. So I, this is Jairo Bustamante's way of not only reclaiming the tale that's been very much. Um, uh, it's been very much how can i say it um 
because according to him, there was a few reviews that um, interviews, I'm sorry, that I read where he was saying that he was trying to um, recapture the the legend of La Llorona that's been very much um, changed a lot since uh, the Spaniards and the conquest of, uh, after it started. So back in the day, uh, La, the legend of La Llorona was just a, a female figure who cried and wept uh, because she can see the future. And that is the reason why she was crying. There was no murder children. There was no no um, infidelity by the husband and her getting payback or anything. All of that started to come after uh, the religion institutions began to take place and, and in Guatemala, of course, and then in Mexico. Um, but the legend, the true legend herself, of course, it was changed. So now he's trying to reclaim it um, in a way. But again, very much kind of like Guillermo del Toro tones here. The ghost isn't necessarily what you should be afraid of. It's these people in power who have all the power to make these decisions. And, and, and it's these politicians that um, make uh, the, the laws and the policies that unfortunately uh, do uh, segregate and do leave very much isolated a lot of indigenous groups. Um, and we see that a lot still um, across Latin America. So the movie is beautifully shot. Uh, there is this one and scene um, that, that it's very powerful. It stayed with me since I first watched it. And it's about an indigenous woman who's giving a testimonial she's testifying what happened um and it's one of those uh, bone chilling uh, scenes because of course she's talking in her native dialect tongue and it felt so real and it, it, it hit me to the core just reading the subtitles even though i wasn't able to understand what she was saying and then later to find out that she only agreed to be part of the movie if the director allowed her to give her true uh, experiences, to testify her true experiences, what she truly, truly experienced. And just to see that, to read that, and to learn that everything she said in this movie actually happened to her was just heartbreaking but yet still more powerful and impactful. So everything that Jairo Bustamante does here with the camera work, it, it, it's a horror movie, uh, more of a psychological horror, um, but towards the end, it becomes more of a, of a conventional horror movie that, again, it's easily one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, I've seen it a few times. And again, I told you a few <laughs> minutes ago that I'm not big on horror. <laughs> But it's these type of stories, particularly about indigenous people who are often forgotten and they're often just pushed to the side um, that just they just hit me hard. Uh, they hit me hard because it's it's unfortunate to learn about all these historical events. And I think that Bustamante did an excellent job in retelling the historical ghost story, but also in integrating it in these historical past events. It's funny that you mentioned taking back that legend because I have always known that legend to be a woman crying because she drowned her kids because they were crying. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to know that that's not how it started mm -hmm. out. Yeah, they, they very much... I don't know. Have you noticed that in all these historical uh, events and all these historical either legends or myths, whether they are um, all these mythologies... The only stories you know about women, um, they're not necessarily the good ones. Uh, so I, I think yeah. in this case, 
with, with the introduction of religion, particularly Catholicism across Latin America, they had to make that legend make her make her be the bad person. Um, yeah, she's crying and she's weeping, but because she did something or she was provoked sure. to do something. When in reality, um, that's nowhere near close to the original legend from the Mayas. <laughs> well, you gave me a perfect segue into my number one when you said the real life monsters are the ones who are the bad guys, not necessarily the uh, the ghosts or the fantasy creatures, just like Guillermo del Toro did in my number one here, which I just could not leave off the list, Pan's Labyrinth, my favorite of his movies. In a dark time, when hope was bleak, there lived a young girl whose only escape was in a legend that wanted her back. The legend speaks of the lost soul of a princess from another world who will one day be reborn. There will be signs that mark her return. And this was tough to, to add because it takes place in Spain. It was filmed in Spain. Most of the, like the crew are from Spain, but Guillermo del Toro is from Mexico. And uh, I, I just couldn't leave this off because he is my favorite Mexican director. He's one of my favorite directors, I think of all time. I had to have his his best movie on here. And to me, this is his best movie. It's a heart-wrenching fairy tale centered around this girl named Ophelia. She's a 10-year-old girl. She's in the middle of a war. And she finds herself in this overgrown labyrinth filled with magical creatures as kind of a way to escape her tyrannical stepfather and the real world that she lives in that perfectly blends innocence with brutality. And when she descends into this spiral staircase... She discovers this fawn, which is this magical creature. It's hard to explain, but it looks kind of like an avatar, but a little bit scarier. <laughs> and this fawn, when she's in in this uh, labyrinth, says that she might be the long lost princess Moana and needs to complete these three tasks to claim her birthright. And that's that's basically how that story begins. The creature design in this is amazing. And you can tell that there was some CGI, but the majority of it was practical. Everything looks so good. The fawn looks great. The pale man is somebody that even if you've never seen Pan's Labyrinth, you've probably seen images of the pale man. He's this really interesting creature with his eyes on his hands. Everything in this movie is beautiful and at the same time haunting. It is so well shot. It's really well acted. Ivana Baccaro plays Ophelia and she's just wonderful as somebody as is we as the audience want to protect her. As we see things unfold in this fairy tale world, we can see that it's giving her the courage to deal with what's happening around her in real life. I had no idea what I was getting into when I saw this the first time. This was the first Del Toro movie I ever saw. And, uh, you know, I went in thinking it was kind of like a fairy tale. And then we see her stepfather just bashing someone's face in with a bottle. And, uh, you know, it just, it really makes you think about the true horror of, 
life for a lot of people. It makes you think about the true horror of a lot of fables that you hear as a kid, and they've never quite been visualized like they were here. Again, I had a tough time putting this on because it's connection to Spain versus Mexico, but I could not leave off my absolute favorite Guillermo del Toro film, Pan's Labyrinth from 2006. That's my uh, that's my number one. And rightfully so. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of people love this film. A lot of people have this film as one of their favorites. Period. Uh, not only from from a Latino director or a Latino a Latino Hispanic movie, but overall in general and. I, I understand. <laughs> I definitely understand, and I can see why it's on people's list. Um, I mean, this is the 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 go to movie uh, when you study film, <laughs> particularly with the mise en scène, yeah. and and you're learning about all these all this terminology, but also what fits in 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 a um in 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 a shot and everything. So yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. I do find a little not surprising but it's funny that out of the three amigos we both selected del toro films um <laughs> but again it's it not surprising because to me he's probably the most uh i don't want to say the yeah i'm gonna say it i think he is the best out of the three um so it, it's i mean not surprising at all so yeah i i like pen's yeah. labyrinth i think it's it's good um it's just that i don't know I just don't don't love it as much as other people. Maybe I wasn't in the in the right mood or something when I watched the movie. But no, I I can see why everybody loved it, and I and I I don't blame you for having it as your number one. All right, your grand finale, Rosa Para. My number one is perhaps the movie I've seen the most ever. I lost count already but i'm sure it's the movie i've seen the most uh it's a movie that's very dear to me um a movie that takes place in my hometown um takes place in my high school <laughs> and it's 1988 uh stand and deliver stay awake as you're waking up wake up this morning how are you bring toothpicks you pinch open your eyes can we talk about sex we discuss sex i have to give sexual homework <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I was you. I'd lose a finger. I won't be able to count to ten. At a tough school, someone had to take a stand, and someone did. Now the critics stand up and cheer for Stand and Deliver. Terrific. Tremendous. This movie, directed by Ramon Menendez, uh, follows uh, Jaime Escalante, who's a high school math teacher, um, who just successfully inspires his dropout-prone students to learn calculus. Man, um, and it's portrayed exceptionally well by Edward James Olmos, which I still believe this is one of his best performances ever. I think this earned him an Academy Award nomination. Um, and he won the Spirit um, Indie Awards for, for, for this performance. And this movie, it's just, the, this movie is responsible for me being where I am right now. Um, I watched this movie two or three times a week while I was taking calculus just for motivational purposes. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> um, it worked so well. Every now and then I still watch it just for nostalgic but also inspirational. Uh, purposes and just to see uh, how um, Jaime Escalante. I didn't get the chance to meet the the the, the Jaime Escalante himself, the actual teacher. He's he was I believe he's from Bolivia, um, and and came to live to to East LA. And 
I, I didn't get to meet him when I was in, in when I went to Garfield High School. I think he was already retired by the time I was attending. But he was our anthem. Uh, every uh, when if you're from East LA, you know who Jaime Escalante is. You know what Stand and Deliver is, uh, the movie, and you take pride uh, into that movie. You rarely see a movie depicting. A, a, a professor or a math teacher in this positive light and for it to actually be based on true events it's even more um more exceptional to to watch but also to see the array of diverse students uh that that attend this school and, and to see that yeah you do have your gang members you do have your cholos with them uh Lou Diamond Phillip being one of them um but it doesn't necessarily overshadow or take over what we're so accustomed to watching the depiction and the representation in East LA. Um, you, you have students who are musicians, you have students who are mechanics. Uh, other students are probably um, the oldest child and they have far more responsibilities of taking care of younger siblings. And, and just to see all of that was just amazing, in my opinion, representation that's par probably more accurate from my uh, upbringing over in East LA and man I mean this movie means the world to me it means the world to me as as a, a brown Chicana uh, from East LA and again it helped me get through calculus and easily easily one of the films that I've seen the most ever I uh, probably I want to say more than 50 times I've seen this movie and it's nice. just so inspirational and I love it. And I love the fact that, um, of course, Angel, who's played by Lou Damian Phillips, is one of my favorite characters in this movie. Um, he He's the cholo. He tries to be this tough guy and, and so on and so forth. But he's smart. He's very smart. He's one of the, I mean, spoiler alert for an almost over 30 year old film. But he's one of the few students who gets a perfect score in his calculus exam and gets college credit. So again, it's just these characters and it's just his relationship, um, Escalante's relationship with his students that it's just so inspirational, but also it brings a different light <laughs> to people in East LA that isn't often represented, especially back in the eighties. Uh, because after this, you get like things like Mi Familia or Blood In and Blood Out or American Me, mm -hmm. um, movies that are a bit more focused on, on, on criminal activity and the gang members and all that good stuff. So to see something like this also, it's a little, uh, a, a breath of fresh air in a way. So Yes, this is my number one. I'm completely biased, but I think that's what what makes me me. And, and and I probably would not be sitting here talking to you if it weren't for this movie. I love the quote: "Tough guys don't do math. Tough guys dip fried chicken for yes. a living." That he says <laughs> in this movie. So many quotes. This is uh, this is one that I reviewed earlier in the year. This is one that came up in my wife's uh, Chicano film yeah. class. And she had to watch this. So I jumped in. I had seen it when I was younger. They showed it when I was in high school. They showed yeah. it. And uh, I didn't really remember much about it. But yeah, it's it's a really infuriating look at systemic racism that as we watch it now still exists. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Great movie. Yes, yes. And yeah, it, it helped me gain that confidence, you know, I, I don't don't let people judge you just based on your surname, your complexions, where you come from. 
you can do it. You can do it. So again, I owe this movie a whole lot. <laughs> That's great. I had a couple of honorable mentions I wanted to mention uh-huh. that did not make my list. So I had one from Spain that I really, really love called Time Crimes. I don't know if you've seen Time Crimes before, but it's a really, really great, very micro budget time travel mm. movie that has like five cast members and it's so good. Mm-hmm. There was a, an action movie that came out on Netflix earlier this year called Extremo, which is really good. That was from Brazil. Another Brazilian film that I really thought about putting on my list was Wild Tales. I don't know if you're familiar with Wild Tales. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. That one's really good. Sounds familiar, actually. Let me see. Yeah, that one's from, I think, like 2014. Oh really good. I struggled not to put both El Mariachi or Desperado yes. on my list. Oh, I was so upset I couldn't get a Robert Rodriguez film in here. Yeah, and they're really, really good, but I just didn't have room this time around. And then a new movie, an animated movie that just came out called Vivo, oh, yeah. which I don't know if you've seen it yet. Of you've course. seen it? Of <laughs> course. I love yeah, you it's more. really good. Yes. It's about a, the Cuban experience, like Cuban, uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. It's got music from uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it is really, really fun. It's a really good movie, and that one will bring a tear to your eye, too. Yes, 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 yes. So those are my honorable mentions. What else did you have on your list? Uh, yes, I I mentioned earlier I had Amores Perros and Y Tu Mamá También, uh, certainly movies that are like, made mexican cinema just gave it a new a new uh breath of fresh air with with uh with cuaron and Niarrito. man it was hard like i said to keep uh any of robert rodriguez's film out of here uh out of my list especially spy kids uh spy kids it's, it's one that's very mm-hmm. very special to me um and we can be heroes also from rodriguez uh, from i think it's a year or two ago um i remember tweeting out that rodriguez made me believe i i can be a spy now he's making my girls believe they can be heroes uh so again what robert rodriguez has done for uh the the latinos and particularly u.s latinos it's it's so important uh but sadly doesn't get uh, given the recognition he deserves um what else i mean from this year alone there's so many uh i try to stay away from this year but i think in the heights uh in the heights is certainly up there another limon and miranda uh, <laughs> uh mention here but I, i'm very much looking forward to seeing Canto. let's see how how that's gonna go later in a few weeks and let's see what else from this year plan b uh, Plan B, which I said was still my top three movies of the year, um, from Natalie Morales. It's literally just a road trip movie with two teenagers trying to seek out a Plan B emergency contraceptive. Uh, one, one of the girls, she's a Latina. Her father's played by uh, Jacob Vargas, who plays the brother in Selena. Um, so it, just to see to see that dynamic uh, going on on screen, it's also pretty pretty cool um and of course (laughs) identifying features which is still my favorite movie of this year a movie that it broke my heart to see that mexico did not select it to be its its submission to the international uh, or foreign um category of to the academy awards they they selected another movie even though um identifying features won a whole lot of ariels which is mexico's version of the oscars but it is what it is 
I won't cry over it. I'm still bitter that La Llorona didn't get nominated for last year, so I'll never get over that. <laughs> well, they don't like horror movies for ah, some reason. Screw them. <laughs> exactly. Screw them. Screw we need them. to make our own Oscars. <laughs> we should. <laughs> we definitely should. We'll call them the Rosas. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Speaking of, Rosa, where can people follow you on Twitter and on social media? Yes, you can follow me. I'm on Instagram. I think I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Letterboxd um, at Rosa's Reviews. Cool. Follow her everywhere. Then you'll be able to see everything she's reviewing. She's going to review all kinds of stuff that you can't even see yet. So you'll be prepared when it comes out. And... Where else, like, what else do you want people to see, to listen to of yours? Where else do you want people to go? Yes, if you can follow Latinx Lens, which is the podcast website that I co-found um, and co-host the podcast along with Catherine Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, we are on every uh, podcasting platform and we're also on social media at Latinx Lens. Our latest episode on the podcast was focusing on Oscar Isaac. Uh, it was a very awesome. fun, a very fun and entertaining episode because we, we had to keep profesh, but we couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> the man the is man. so damn hot um and no we have a lot of things coming up we have the interview with jorge gutierrez uh, about maya and the three we just interviewed pablo larrain for um, spencer so we have a lot of things coming up we're doing interviews um we're, we're doing reviews i'm sorry of uh, upcoming movies that are the yeah like you said we, we're getting a head start like i think encanto comes out in thanksgiving i'm gonna watch it actually this saturday um so just yeah and hopefully hopefully i'm crossing my fingers we we get the chance to talk to the cast uh of, of encanto so yeah we have a lot of things coming up so yeah make sure you're following us and thank you for for inviting me and and having me back here this was fun difficult but absolutely fun. <laughs> yeah this is always a good time to have you on and now listeners have nine actually more than nine we have at least 15 20 that you can go watch what are your favorite latin x films let me and rosa know on social media at force five pod on twitter and force five podcast on instagram and your comment might just make it to next week's show of course, if you liked what you heard, please review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends to become list nerds with us. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears' Top 5 List Bumper, produced by me, with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and go watch some Latinx movies.